If you're a North Korean news aficionado like me, you probably came across the NK News website well before discovering the podcast. It's an incredible source that gets you behind the headlines to give you what's probably the most reliable and evidence-based news on North Korea. Every business day, you'll get between 5 to 10 articles that provide exclusive news, detailed analysis, and informed opinions. And guess what? Each week, they send you forward-looking week-ahead briefings and news alerts to keep you ahead of the curve. There's more. NK News members also get special reader-only benefits, access to exclusive events and online conferences, and perpetual access to our archive of podcasts. And here's the best part. You can get a $100 discount on your annual subscription with the code PODCAST. Redeem this podcast-only special today by visiting nknews.org discount. That's nknews.org discount. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this a special bumper episode number 300 of the NK News podcast. I have recorded a, a, a heap of interviews that we've strung together. Uh, firstly, with uh, Chad O'Carroll, the founder and CEO of NK News and NK Pro and Korea Risk Group and Korea Pro. And then with Collins Wirko and Jongwin Kim, we talked about the parade that was held on the 70th anniversary of the signing of the Korean War Armistice, that, uh, a day that North Koreans call Victory Day. And then later on, I have groups of my colleagues from NK News cycle in and out of the studio to talk a bit about their experience working here and some of the stories that they find interesting. We hope that you'll enjoy this special bumper length episode. Thank you very much for listening and may there be 100, 200, 300 more episodes of the NK News podcast. Listeners, welcome to the NK News podcast. This is episode 300, can you believe it? And I'm joined by Chad, Chad O'Carroll, who is all the way in Spain. Uh, does the rain in Spain fall mainly on the plane, Chad? Or is that simply a myth? <laughs> no rain here at the moment, Jacko. It's uh, been a scorcher every day. So I'm glad well, to be out of Korea in the rainy season. Yes, uh, right now we are uh, absolutely uh, up to our necks in water here. Uh, Kwang Hong-mun has been inundated in the last hour. When you asked me in early 2018 if I'd like to be the host of the NK News podcast, did you imagine that we'd get up to episode 300? No, I mean, yeah, I'd never, I, I didn't think, I don't know. It was, yeah, a bit of an experiment, right? We yeah. thought we'd see how it goes and then... Yeah, I, I never thought that far forward. I mean, yeah, five years, four years has it been? Yeah, uh, five years of February uh, 2018. And so here we are now in uh, wow. ju- end of July 2023. So five and a half years. Yeah, time flies, eh? It's amazing. Yeah, I, I'm glad. It's been a very ex- a successful experiment for me. I'm very glad with what we've achieved here, interviewing all sorts of people. Yeah, yeah, some great episodes. Yeah, yeah. We've, we still haven't got uh, Trump or Kim Jong-un yet. So uh, we've got to keep sending out those invitations. Yeah, must do, must do. <laughs> now, so for episode 300, I thought it would be fun to do a uh, a round table. But uh, since you're in Spain, it's good to talk to you first. And then tomorrow at about 11.30, I'll be around the table in the uh, the studio, welcoming in all of our writing colleagues, our journalist crew at NK News to come in in groups of three for about 10 to 15 minutes at a time. And so we'll kind of cycle through all of them, try to get as many people on as we can. It won't be as much fun as episode 100, which we recorded after working hours. And so we had beers. I don't know if you remember that one. It was the, you, the me, Oli, and, uh, and Arius, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, with the North Korean wine, right? Uh, there was wine, but there was also beer bought at the Pioneer Jump downstairs. It was things, things got interesting. 
Yeah, I think I do remember that one. Yeah, sad we can't do that this time, but maybe next time. We'll do one soon. Did you have time to watch the parade over there in Spain? Did you see some of the highlights? I've seen the highlights. I haven't I haven't watched the actual full feature though. Yeah, really actually enjoying having a break over the parade. I think there's been, what, four or five parades in this pandemic era? Right. Pretty much every six months. Yeah, that's right. They had one early February and they've had one now. And this is, of course, the the big change because they brought in some foreign delegations for this one. So senior delegations from both Russia and China. I went through the whole thing, pausing every minute, making copious notes. I've got a whole document to go through with the uh, the colleagues tomorrow. (laughs) So I won't worry you too much about that. But during your time away, while you've been having a break, uh, has there been anything on your mind about North Korea? Yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty plugged in the whole time the parade stuff was taking place and the delegations going to visit. And I did find it pretty remarkable, especially to see the Russian defense minister inspecting various weapon systems at an, yeah. an exhibition and obviously attending the parade as well with uh, a Chinese senior political delegation. I guess what was striking to me was, you know, these are two countries on the United Nations Permanent Five Security Council who actively sanctioned and condemned North Korea's nuclear and missile programs. And yet they were front and center of a parade of North Korea's most threatening ICBMs, new drone capability. So it was, I I believe Ankit Panda wrote for us uh, on NK Pro, it was Mm -hmm. a, a, a real example of how those two countries now there's there's very little hope that they will play any active role in trying to turn those programs around yeah i, I really think the same is true uh you can't it it's very hard to seriously expect them to really try their best on sanctions implementation and issues like that when they are more or less endorsing the very programs themselves by attending and participating in a in a parade like that yeah, I have a vague memory. Uh, someone can probably Google this up and correct me if I'm wrong, but that back in, in August of 2015, when North Korea was doing a parade for the 70th anniversary of liberation, that the Russian delegation either didn't come or threatened to not come if nukes were there in the mm-hmm. parade. Uh, and here we are now uh, standing there openly clapping and cheering at nuclear tipped or potentially nuclear tipped missiles. Yeah, and you've got to wonder as well, what were the nature of conversations between Russia's defense minister, Shoigu, and yeah. the North Koreans? Don't know, but I'm I'm wondering if there was any, any discussion of what's going on in Ukraine and how North Korea may be able to assist in one way or another, either through supply of munitions or missile systems or maybe construction workers after, yeah. after things calm down there. Who knows? Yeah, Russia did, say, I think, express uh, thanks through uh, Minister Shoigu for North Korea's support. So let's see uh, what that support materializes into. Certainly, you'll be coming back to a very interesting situation post-parade, Chad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to coming back to work. And I've had two trips in short succession recently, which have meant I've not really been in the office much. And so I'm looking forward to getting back and uh, diving into this subject just as the US rock exercises will be starting yes. imminently, which is going to, I'm sure, lead to various North Korean responses and hopefully no direct confrontation. But yeah, it's... Are you still feeling, Chad, that uh, that something might happen this year in the uh, in the same vein as perhaps the sinking of the Chanan or the, or the shelling of Yonkyongdo, something small but limited but shocking? Yeah, well, I... 
I did uh, say on Twitter in just after the drone incursions uh, in December 2022, so just mm. a few months ago, I posted something along the lines of I'm getting worried about the sort of growing tension between the two careers, the risk of miscalculation, accident, etc. And I did, uh, you know, I, I was worried that there was going to be some form of minor confrontation that could lead to to some loss of life. And I remember is that why you've gone to Spain? <laughs> is that your uh, your bolt hole from the Korean Peninsula, like uh, Peter Thiel and the other billionaires have got uh, cubby holes in New Zealand? Uh, no, <laughs> but um, I remember predicting back then that there would there was I thought a relatively good chance of something going pear shaped in the first five months of this year, and I, I I thought five months because that would be a month after the spring exercises, and mm. I know it doesn't tend to respond directly when mm -hmm. exercises are taking place. And on the last day of that five month window was the alert that was triggered in South Korea on everyone's cell phone about the rocket that was flying above right the failed satellite launch yeah and that wasn't obviously what i was expecting but i think it was a good reminder that accidents miscalculations misunderstanding miscommunication yep. all of those things can lead to sudden serious escalations um That's true. and yeah just hope i hope nothing like that happens but i think sadly the current trajectory of shows of force and power on each side it's just seems to be pretty inevitable that something will go wrong one day when mm. when so are yeah. tense. I share your fears, but also your hopes that it that does you know that cooler heads will prevail and that things don't get mm -hmm. uh, out of control. While you're there in Spain, have you uh, been past the DPRK embassy and knocked on the door to see if you might get a no, welcome? No, I'm up near Barcelona and that's down in Madrid, so ah. we're quite far away from the North Korean embassy. But Alejandro, if you're mm. listening. I think he lives Alejandro Caldebenos, who's the on the Perez, to, to quote his full name. Yes, yeah, he's on the FBI wanted list. He lives near Barcelona in Tarragona. I Does believe. he still have that beer, uh, that uh, pub or cafe or whatever it was? No, I think it's out of business now. Oh. And I don't think he would appreciate if I showed up. But <laughs> well, if you do, make sure you take a camera. Yeah, he's not a fan of of NK News. I think. Sadly. All right. Well, thanks for joining me here, Chad. Uh, I hope you stay yep. around and listen to the uh, the roundtable that I'll be doing tomorrow uh, with our colleagues. And uh, we'll see you back in Seoul soon. Cheers. Thanks, Jaco. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Ever wondered what lies beyond the inter-Korean border? NK News brings you an opportunity to explore North Korea from a near distance. From October 8 to 17, 2023, Journey with us on the second ever North Korea from a distance tour, visiting key border locations and observatories looking into North Korea, as well as meeting key figures working on DPRK issues. Spend two nights on the East Coast, see the beautiful Kumgang Mountains, scour the beaches near the inter-Korean border, and see Kim Il-sung's old summer house. Visit Yonpyongdor, the location of the November 2010 inter-Korean artillery bombardment, Observe North Korean hamlets from close quarters in Kanghua and delve deep into the heart of Seoul, the capital of South Korea. Every step of the way, you'll be guided by leading NK News and Cordial Tour staff and be joined regularly for multi-day portions of the itinerary by leading experts like Andre Lankov, Chad O'Carroll, Jongmin Kim, Jacko Zwetsud and Gergovacci of Cordial Tours. As a special offer for our podcast listeners, quote podcast when making your booking for an exclusive 10% discount. Find out more at nknews.org slash tour. Once again, 
That's nknews.org tour and use the, the code podcast when booking. Let's journey into the unknown together. Okay, so this is, if you haven't already heard in the first part of the podcast, this is actually episode 300 of this series, and we're recording this now in the studio on Monday, the 31st of July, 2023. It's an amazing honor, and I'm delighted, etc., etc., to have been recording these interviews and roundtable discussions for the last five and a half years, or 300 episodes. Thank you to all of my colleagues at NK News, especially Chad O'Carroll, for their support over this time. I'm honored to say that especially for this 300th episode, North Korea decided to throw a parade to commemorate it, which was very kind of the DPRK government, but probably uh, an unnecessary use of resources. Uh, I'm going to be rejoined here in the studio today by as many of my colleagues as can tear themselves away from their desks and come and talk to me about the parade or about working for NK News or about uh, this wonderful podcast series, of course. Uh, first people in the hot seats are Colin Zwerko and Jongmin Kim. Welcome. Hi, Jacko. Good morning. How many times have you watched last Friday's uh, broadcast of the parade in full, which was about two hours and 17 minutes? Just twice. Just once and then scanning at my own pace many I times. I would say 1.5 then for me. Okay. Yeah, I watched the whole thing once, but I was pausing it everywhere and then make a lot of notes there. So I got a, a crap ton of stuff to go through. Me too. Let's do it. Let's start. Here's some uh, just some odd notes, sort of miscellaneous that I've got at the start here. Last parade, of course, in February was the, uh, for the 75th anniversary of the founding of the Korean People's Army back in 1948. So this is the second parade this year, the first since the February one. And it doesn't seem to you like when we see the parade, it's been edited. So they've spliced in uh, video and other things. So this is not a live thing. Does it seem to you like some sound effects are added, especially every time they unfurl a flag or do a sword chop? It just feels to me like they've put in the of the flag or the shing, you know, a little bit. Do you know what I mean? I didn't notice that. And then when soldiers are doing, like, chanting, they're like, huh, in the recorded version right. as well. I, I do think that, that yeah, they've, they've, they've kind of either amped those things up a little bit in the uh, post-recording editing or they've added that in. Anyway, that was interesting. Uh, no signs of uh, Kim Yo-jong or Kim Jue or Ri Sol-ju. Did any of them... Were they hiding behind a column or handing out an ashtray? I couldn't see them in the parade itself, but there were other side events related to, especially the defense minister of Russia coming and Chinese delegation coming as well. And they were there, okay. but not the daughter, right? Not the wife and the daughter, but, but Kim Yo-jong made a speech at the banquet with the Chinese. Ah, the banquet, which was after the parade, right? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, did I correctly identify Hyun Song-wol? Was she there? Was mm-hmm. she the one who was herding the kids and that sort of thing and, and leading the people into which way to walk along the uh, reviewing platform? Yeah, she's still firmly Kim Jong-un's uh, logistical top aide. And the one that started doing that last year, I've not seen her in many months. Hmm. So a bit of a mystery. Okay, so the only woman we have there is the, the one who visited South Korea in um, early 2018. Choi Sun-hee was also on, was the, on the podium in the back. She was very visible ah. right behind on the podium. Okay, but not in, in a... Uh, Is she usually there, role? though? Choi Sun-hee in the middle VIP seat? I think it's... Uh, I mean, she's the foreign minister, isn't she? Yeah. Now, there was, um, of course, a very prominent visit by Defense Minister... What's his first name? Sergei Shoigu. Shoigu. And Li Hongzhong from uh, the uh, Chinese Politburo were both there watching this. This is, I believe, a big deal because it's the first time that foreign representatives have been there watching potential nuclear assets rolling down Kim Il-sung Square. Is that right? 
not the first time ever, but, and I believe my colleague or our uh, contributor Ankit Panda who mm-hmm. wrote, wrote that the, the 2015 parade had delegations, one from China, especially visiting on the viewing stand, watching missiles that were nuclear capable or intended to be nuclear capable. This time, there's no doubt about it. These are nuclear missiles. Right. And after reviewing the video, looking through it, Shoigu is saluting and very much looking very interested in Mm -hmm. all of the nuclear weapons that are rolling past him, specifically shown saluting each weapon. The Chinese uh, visitor, the delegation leader, Li, he was looking just with a straight face Mm. almost the whole time. But at the end, when the Hwasong-17 ICBM rolls past, it cuts straight to the three of them, Kim Jong-un, Shoigu, and Li, and they are all applauding. And Mm. I think there's no ambiguity to it whatsoever. The Chinese delegation leader applauded the nuclear weapons of North Korea. What does this mean for the uh, P5, you know, nuclear, sorry, the uh, UN Security Council policy on North Korea denuclearization? Well, it's not my opinion, but I've, uh, we've gotten a lot of feedback from experts and analysts. And the, basically, China can write their own story still, and they're still able to kind of play the game. But no one is going to buy it any more than they already were not mm-hmm. buying it, that uh, China is opposed to North Korea's nuclear weapons development. People have been accusing them of allowing violations of sanctions, which they agreed to. They agreed at the UN, both Russia and China, to curb North Korea's nuclear weapons program back as recently as 2017. And and since then, Russia has been way more vocal about saying, you know, maybe we should take a look at these sanctions again. Ah. But these sanctions are never going to come off. So basically, because of the U.S., Mm -hmm. uh, so Russia and China are kind of going their own way. They're like, well, we're not going to totally abide by these UN sanctions that we agreed to anymore, but we're going to do it our way. Mm. And so, yes, we've heard that maybe they support it for now. Maybe they don't support North Korea going rogue and doing something with these weapons. And maybe they would prefer them not to have them. But for now, it's a, it's an asset to them. The interest level, though, it seemed definitely a bit different. Like you said, Chinese leader was a Chinese delegation leader was looking at most of them in a straight face. And I think it's, it was also interesting that they not only North Korea not only did the military parade, but they also did the Weapons Expo 2023. And only Russian delegation was shown. Sure, but that makes sense as a, as a military the, delegation. Right, being that's shown true. Around a military. Mm. I'll also add just real quick, the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson answered a question about this last Friday. And the answer was, we still, we, China always, this is a paraphrase, China always abides by its commitments to the UN sanctions. Mm-hmm. And their position on the Korean Peninsula has not changed. Mm-hmm. So they're still actually playing this game where they will maybe show up at meetings later. Maybe they will, in, in a meeting with the U.S., say, oh, yeah, we still support the denuclearization of North Korea. And maybe the U.S. can say, well, you know, we saw you applauding their, their yeah. nukes. You are supporting their nukes. And China can say, oh, no, 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 we weren't. And, could, you know, that's just also, how it's going to go. They could also say, we, you know, we sent you know, a symbolic delegation sure. who's like, they can always say that. But yeah. it was very clear from the optics. You said that Li Hongzhong was uh, looking on with a straight face. I actually made, as I said, a lot of running notes while I was watching the, uh, the parade. And at uh, 1 minute 32 seconds, when the strategic forces were uh, marching through Kim Il-sung Square, I, I wrote down here, 
Li Hongzhong looks like he's ready for this to end. <laughs> you mean that, one hour and 32 minutes? Yeah, yeah. One hour and 32 minutes looked, into yeah. the parade there. He, he gave that kind of a, that sort of a straight smile that you give when you're not really having a great time, but you're forcing yourself to smile. Also, well, when the defense minister was doing a speech, they were given like a paper. Right, they had the script of it, didn't <laughs> they? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of kind of, uh, you can read into it what you want, but it's funny when when it started, Mm. they are made to wait around for Kim Jong-un for maybe quite a while. Right, close to 20 minutes. And Kim Jong-un walks out and gets all the adulation from the crowd. It's a very long applause, probably Mm. over five minutes. And they're just kind of meant to stand there and be the secondary characters as this uh, magnanimous dictator is just soaking it all in. And that could be kind of an insult to them potentially or maybe mm. not and then yeah then they're handed this they actually have it in their possession yep. the words of the defense minister accusing the u.s of start of like you know being on the brink of starting a nuclear war right about how you know nuclear war is coming it's not a matter of if but when yeah and and they're holding these words in their hands and that's kind of a funny optics as well <laughs> but yeah. it's probably you know you can brush it off yeah, I have a quote from the uh, the English translation. Uh, now, the question is not if a nuclear war will occur on the Korean Peninsula, but rather who will ignite this nuclear war and when. Uh, does that, that leave is... open the possibility of North Korea igniting? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it kind of does. Yeah. And he said that... Uh, it's interesting, he used... Uh, we've talked about this a couple of times in podcasts recently, but he used the term Dehan Minguk, the uh, official name of the Republic of Korea. Oh, yeah, that's Korean. funny. That was a funny. Times. Come on, give me what you got, Jung-min. So, <laughs> when we in the office, when we were expecting the parade, we already had the Rodong Shimun and the KCNA speech of the ah. defense minister, and we saw there was Dehan Minguk with the quotation mark. Right. And we said... And explain how- the quotes before, when Kim Jong-jong was using the quotes, a lot of people misinterpreted this, and they were like... But then basically, I think the, the conclusion was using it in quotes is basically mm-hmm. an insult like the so-called. Right. You, it's a and podcast, so you can't see our fingers, but y- we are doing the finger air quotes, air quotes, air quotes yeah. um, like sarcastic sort of. So mm-hmm. we were waiting for the defense minister to say it. So we see his gesture yeah, man, is yeah, or the tone. Did but he do air quotes? Did no, he, no, no. He only did it like straight just. He read it with a straight tone, didn't yeah. he? I remember picking that up at the time. But yeah, certainly since at least the 1980s, They've been using Dehan Minguk or Detonyong on their leaflets, the propaganda leaflets from North Korea, in quotation marks uh, to show that it's a kind of a, you know, to cast doubt on right. the legitimacy of it. And so he used Dehan Minguk Cholgedul, uh, which is the uh, henchmen or running dogs of North Korea, I got, and Dehan Minguk Yokjokdul, which is the tra- traitors, traitors of the so called Republic, uh, Republic of Korea, not people. <laughs> right. Uh, and so he, I think he used it three times in his speech there. And uh, and he didn't use any air quotes. Or no, he didn't, he no, didn't I was go, very disappointed. He I didn't was say it in a weird voice and then elbow the guy no. next to him, and then the whole crowd erupts in laughter. And no, you know, just that didn't happen. Yeah, okay. that didn't this, happen. By the way, to our listeners, this he who we are referring to here is the North Korean Defense Minister and Five Star General uh, Kang Song Nam. Four Kang Sung Nam. I counted five. Four on his uh, four. thing there. No, I'm going to go with five. Okay. You can stick with four. <laughs> uh, so he gave a speech that uh, lasted for about 20 minutes. It was almost a sermon, um, except it didn't have as much emotion. Uh, but he went on for quite a while. He was the one giving the speech instead of uh, uh, Kim Jong-un. Right. No Kim No Kim's speech. No Kim's speech at the last one in February, I think. And but Kim shed tears and... He did shed tears. But he's been a bit aloof lately. He has he didn't speak at the Politburo, or at the pol- the plenum a couple of months ago, in, mm, or maybe last month in June. Kind of putting on a weird kind of character these days. Well, another thing about the Kang Soo Nam speech mm. is, which I think is kind of significant, is that recently we've there's been like, well, Kang Soo Nam, the defense minister, released a statement earlier this month 
talking about how the U.S. nuclear missile submarine visit could, quote unquote, could meet the conditions for North Korea feeling threatened enough that they believe that the U.S. is about to launch a nuclear strike on North Korea, and then they could, according to their nuclear doctrine released last September, they could then release, they could then launch a preemptive strike against the U.S. So he's saying, next time you bring your nukes to the Korean Peninsula, we might actually interpret that as a mm. prelude to war, and we'll launch an, a preemptive nuclear strike on the U.S. or South Korea. That was a very stern warning. And then there were other warnings from Kim Yo-jong about, like, we will shoot down your reconnaissance flight planes. None of these were in domestic state media, okay? Ah. These were all just released for international media, as far as we can tell. They weren't in the Rodong Shimun. They weren't on KCTV. Mm. They might have been in internal teachings. Sure. Who knows? But the fact that Kang Sunam touched on all these points ah. in his speech to the domestic audience, right. this is a very... This That's is, very significant. Yeah, it sends a signal to the domestic audience that things are very serious, mm. which maybe they haven't been hearing about recently. Right. I, yeah. I thought if I were a North Korean audience standing there listening to it, they might have been caught off guard a little bit mm. because it's like a very big jump to the previously uh, released statements to the domestic audience. But They're sure used to these kinds of hyperbole, I'm sure. But Right, but, but the direct, direct reference to the follow-up to their nuclear doctrine in September in reference to U.S. assets particularly. I think that's very significant. Yeah, so it could, be a, it could be a signal of more, more serious uh, escalation of the, of the rhetorical game. Penalty Freedom Shield U.S.-South Korea military drill is coming up in August. Right. That, uh, so any time after... It's all to uh, come. Yeah, there's a lot of things happening there. So back to the parade itself. So is it finally... About an hour and 30 minutes into the uh, the video that I got off of uh, the Yonhap's uh, YouTube, the actual parade started. And I think North Korea's newsreader, Ri Chun-hee, said at last the parade has begun or something along those lines. And the first eight minutes and the first bunch of formations that walked through were these uh, what I would call symbolic formations. That's how I've translated at least. The Sangjing Jongde. Well, how would you translate that, Jongmin? Sangjing Jongde, symbolic, I would say. Okay, so yeah, symbolic formations of historical units. So there were the p- people holding up photographs of uh, men who were long since dead, and these were units from the, uh, the Korean War from 1950. So you had everything from the symbolic column of the presidential bodyguard all the way down to uh, a symbolic column of Seoul's Korean wartime liberation with tanks and motorbikes with sidecars. That was to mark the anniversary of the end of the armistice. Right, yep, uh, the, the uh, 27th of July, uh, 70 years ago. Now, there's a couple of notes I've got in here. I was impressed that uh, for the, the first Army Corps, the music, which had been quite martial uh, most of the time, it broke into something almost jazzy or ragtime, some piano I like music. That song, that was, I like that too, whatever <laughs> it was. And then we had, the, and that came in again about 1.31, just before Lee Hongzhong looked a bit tired and was hoping it would end. What else? Real quick on that, on that soul, you know, the historical uh, mm. units. Is it, uh, we're so used to it, I'm so numb to it, that they talk about this all the time on state media, but... They're out there at a giant celebration in Pyongyang talking about the well, very hugely celebrating the so-called liberation of Seoul. Yep. As, did anybody in the South Korean government react specifically to this? As Not the government, but I got some experts who said that that's actually very important because mm-hmm. these particular units that used to be deployed for actually invading like Seoul them being paraded with the old tanks and old weaponries. Ah. Some experts interpreted this as not having given up on the idea of unification by force or at least celebrating it, mm-hmm. but not out loud. I don't know but if not you can, the government. Yeah, I don't know if you can really it. take it that far. But at least it's symbolically it could be interpreted as a bit provocative. 
It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was also interested to see that at uh, 1 minute 39 seconds, we had the 105th Guard Seoul Ryugyongsu Armored Division, which some people may not have paid much attention to, but I immediately did. My ears picked up because according to the North Korean government, Kim Jong-il's inspiration for Songun, the military first politics, came from a visit that he paid with his father Kim Il-sung to the Seoul 105th Guards Armored Division headquarters in Pyongyang on the 25th of August 1960. Uh, the 25th of August is still a uh, national holiday of the day of Songun, so that's probably a little hat tip to, uh, to mm. Songun, I guess, by having them there. And that's still that's still around. I think that that unit has moved, the, and then they've they've turned that old unit location into a revolutionary site. But that that they still have a unit that's called this whole uh, Ryugyongsu. Ryugyongsu, yeah. right? Now, something I hadn't seen before, uh, maybe I wasn't watching carefully, but I, I looked at the uh, the running sheet for the February parade. I couldn't see them there. At one minute, one hour, and forty six minutes. We had the state security ministry, the Gukka Boi Song, all wearing black suits and ties and black sunglasses. Is this the first time appearance of a plain clothes security force in plain clothes, not in a military uniform? There was a paramilitary parade when they were. The, this, 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 this unit wearing suits, holding guns at their sides in this very funny way, that's happened at least once, maybe a few times in these parades. We've okay. seen that before, but I, remember I don't think that they were wearing sunglasses before. So. Mm. Right. Cue the, mu- cue the music. Yeah. <laughs> right, I wear my sunglasses at night. That's the song they've got to play for that. Yeah, but uh, interesting. Okay, so they weren't there in February, but they have been there before. And then after the state security ministry, we had the Sawe uh, Anjun Song, which is the Ministry of Social Security, which is basically the police of uh, North Korea. I didn't see any weapons there. I just saw uh, basically police in short she- short sleeved shirts. Is that basically what you saw there? They looked like traffic police, but I haven't they I did. haven't uh, dug into that as far as what their specific role was. Now, after them, here comes a unit that I've never heard of before, the Sahwe Anjon Gun, and I looked that up, and that is apparently a... Um, German a shepherds. Pa- a paramilitary organization. Yes, so there were men with riot shields and German shepherds. It looked very much like riot police. It looked like the uh, the Gyoktu Gyeongchal of South Korea. And according to what I've read, in, in a not on NK News, but elsewhere that they correspond to the Soviet army and the internal forces and border guards of Eastern Bloc countries. So they're in charge of patrolling the North Korea-China border. But in, again, the image of, of effectively what looked like riot police in a country that has no riots or social disturbances, that was a little bit strange, wasn't it? And yeah. Have you ever heard of or seen this, uh, this unit, the uh, Sahwe Anjon Gun, before? Yeah, the, these, these riot police-looking units have appeared in at least a few parades now. Okay. Going, well, going back to 2020, maybe, or maybe 2021. Uh, I remember that because I tried to ID the dogs. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, there was, a, there was a strange kind of rumor or something going around where it was like, do all the dogs look the same? Are they clones? Are they clones? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. But they've showed up in a parade before. Okay, but not in February yet. I, I couldn't find any running sheets of earlier ones, so yeah, uh, and not no, in time for this. No confirmed cases of uh, these riot police being used on the streets. Right. It'd be very interesting to imagine because that's what they look like they're used for, but never right. never heard of a case of them in action. Because you don't need a lot of what are clear perspex shields uh, at the border to stop the potential hordes of Chinese who may come over into Yalu uh, no. the mm. Yalu River and settle maybe in they uh, used, North Pyongan province. Maybe they used them last year during the, the COVID outbreak uh. because... The, during one of the meetings, so, uh, an official came up on stage during one of North Korea's meetings and said that people were breaking out of their uh, quarantine zones and, right. and rushing to pharmacies. So maybe they used them then. Okay, yeah. So again, these, uh, it's a paramilitary group, the Sawe Anjun Gun, normally under the control of the police, the Sawe Anjun Song, but in emergency, they fall under the uh, Ministry of Social Security. 
beg your pardon, under the emergency, they fall under the military. Mm. So they're kind of, uh, they've got a foot in both camps, mm. police and military. Okay. All right. What else uh, stuck out to you on the parade, Jongwin? Well, we haven't gotten to the Kigewa Jongde, the weapons yet, but among no. the ones that marched, I thought, for me, I want to follow up on this, but there was Te Sashibir Sangnyuk Dolgyok Dede Jongde, which is assault, mm, um, amphibious, amphibious assault. assault. Yeah. Unit and in uh, in the narration, Richun he said mm. this unit is for at emergency to annihilate or hunt down the pirates in western sea of the peninsula, including Pyongyang Island. Oh, hello! But I couldn't it's fully a South Korean island. Yeah, I couldn't fully hear the entire narration, so mm. it's like little bits of the sentence. But mentioning Pyongyang, I don't think I've heard that before. Um, I'll have to check again, but that was very interesting to me. Right, that is the uh, the northernmost and the westernmost island uh, under the control of the Republic of Korea. It's closer to the North Korean mainland than it is to the South Korean mainland. And uh, no. yeah, it uh, obviously people there would be a bit nervous when they hear their own island named in a in a speech like that. And saying they're pirates, I'm mm. like, what are you referring to? Well, because it it was uh, over the decades. Uh, luckily, not recently, but over the decades. Fishermen from that island and nearby islands mm. were uh, kidnapped and taken against their will to North Korea, right? The uh, the Napbuk Obu. Right. Yeah. Then right after the um, paramilitary group that I mentioned just before, that's when it switched from uh, marching groups to others. So we had a Top Gun style video that uh, was edited in there with some uh, fun scenes of uh, pilots playing with model planes. <laughs> yeah, I asked Twitterverse like what these small airplanes were modeled after. People said SU-70 or something. Okay, well, yeah, that's just the, the jet models. of the, yeah. yeah, but this is common in North Korea. They mm -hmm. uh, promote, uh, so at Air Force bases, they have these courts, uh, like, you know, like a basketball court, but it's a court with a terrain map ah. on it, painted with, you know, mountains, terrain and all that. And they will, that's how they, uh, what sort of like imagine their, their training. So it's like a flight simulator 3D. Yeah, so they hold they hold these model planes mm -hmm. and then they kind of Im imagine their formations together and I think probably practically speaking it's not a bad idea and a way of kind of getting in you know in that space imagining your how you're going to do your flight formations, but mm -hmm. visually it definitely looks funny and mm. old-fashioned. It's also because of the music and the editing. Yeah. yeah, I think I've been told before that other countries do that or ah. have, have done that. Maybe maybe not anymore, but, but yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the uh, the drones, both the aerial and the underwater drones. Uh, we saw, Colin, some, um, a couple of weeks ago, you wrote a story about this structure that was being built next to or near the, uh, the Arch of Triumph in Pyongyang that you thought may have been holding drones. Is that what it turned out to be? Well, it certainly seems that way, but mm. I haven't seen any like image proving that they've came out of there. But, ah. but yeah, we saw this ahead of the parade. It was a, a structure built in a place that's not usually built it made me think that maybe this is for something that hasn't appeared in a parade before because yeah. otherwise they store all their other weapons at this purpose-built base in another part of Pyongyang. And uh, yeah, it turns out it turned out to be right that the, the drones were paraded for the first time. Uh, just one of the models with a sub or with around a 20 meter wingspan was mm -hmm. actually the only one that was driven through the, the parade because the other one has a wingspan of i think if I 35 meters maybe mm, that's so a long wingspan too too wide and one of them was shown at the beginning of the video both of them were shown doing flyover of the parade square but some in the hours before it started it was right. like still it was raining at the time yeah. yeah and 
Um, yeah, so the, the these two drones, they are modeled very precisely after the U.S. Global Hawk, which mm-hmm. is a surveillance drone, a high altitude surveillance That's drone. That's one with a higher wings, a longer wingspan, right? right. And the re- and a U.S. Reaper drone, mm-hmm. which is a combat slash reconnaissance drone, which is a little bit smaller. Mm, they both look very, very familiar. Yeah, they were both revealed actually the pre on a, the previous day in state media at a mm-hmm. weapons expo. And, this uh, is the weapons expo that Shoigu went to, right? Right, and this was the first look at these two, except in June, we were the first to report at NK Pro about the flight testing of these two models. So mm. we actually caught these on satellite imagery ah. uh, back in June at Pangyan Air Base in the northwest. And so we knew this was coming. And if our readers were paying attention to us, they would not have been surprised to see these at the yeah. parade or the expo. And what the names were, mm. names were also interesting. Mm. Mm, give us the names. Setbjar 4 and Setbjar 9. Right. Um, and the number follows, p- apparently, the American drones, numbers 4 and 9 ah. uh, for Global Hawk and Reaper. Setbjar means morning star. Morning star. Um, or sometimes Venus. Right, maybe. Yeah, that's true. But that would Colin, make sense as yeah, Venus yeah. is the morning star. Right? Hwasong, yeah. Hwasong ah, and Venus. Hwasong yeah, being Mars. Yeah, Mars yeah. and Venus. So maybe yeah. we need to change our translation. I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. We translated to Setbjörn and then SB, <laughs> morning yeah, probably star. Probably Venus is probably... Yeah, yeah. Venus makes sense mm. if it's Hwasong. Well, what does it mean that North Korea has such drones that they apparently... Well, how, how could they have modeled it after the Global Hawk and the Reaper? Does that mean that they've picked up a broken one from somewhere or they've bought it on the black market or they've simply reverse engineered based on video footage what, is, what does it mean i mean I that's think, a remaining question i think it could be any of those uh, yeah have any of them been quite. shot down around the world that we know of and, and fallen into enemy hands i saw someone made that theory on twitter uh, i forgot who it was but they were like uh yeah north korea definitely got the plans from iran who shot down one of these i forgot which one a glo- a global hawk or a reaper but iran <laughs> apparently shot one of those down i don't know the details that on does that. make sense and i was thinking also if, if i one don't know why been... they would get that from i mean maybe they traded it or something could have well, yeah, if, if one had been downed over syria for example it wouldn't be hard to imagine that it could have fallen into the hands of north korean observers or advisors and then shipped back but then they've also hacked maybe you know a bunch i don't know the details on that mm. either but you know it's not unfeasible unfe- that they could have hacked Right. their way into these plans considering their skills yeah. in that department. Right. Now, I think you also pointed out, Colin, in your story that they may or may not have satellite access. So that little bulb, bulbous bit above the head there that normally would hide the, uh, the satellite right. dish. Communication. Com- right. May not actually be functional if it doesn't have a... Because North Korea doesn't have any... Uh, right. So I was told this by one expert and then I saw others also kind of touch on this point. So mm. it could either be that they... So someone wrote that it could be they are they have to stay faithful to the design the aerodynamics uh-huh. of this design so regardless of whether or not mm-hmm. there is a satellite under that ray dome at the head of the the drone yeah that they wouldn't mess with that cuz that could mess with the whole right. design of the the how it works aerodynamically but it implies that they would have something under there and then yeah maybe they could be borrowing bandwidth from other countries that was the that was what i was told mm. oh it's like uh, like renting some bandwidth on a on a satellite I, of a friendly country I, yeah i sure i don't know how that would work but hmm. chongwen have you got any thoughts on the underwater drones um, the hail what do they call them tsunami tsunami mm-hmm. yeah. underwater nuclear attack drone right, right. it um, was the first time they thought they were being paraded mm-hmm. um at a military parade but this time there was no pukuksong on the military parade, the submarine launched ballistic missiles. I guess mm. Hale um, there was took at the, the stage. Expo, there was it at the expo. And I think I did see a submarine launched cruise missile. 
uh, not submarine not launched. submarine launched. Oh, but Just there were cruise missiles. Stressed strategic cruise missiles. Ah, okay, fair enough. Yep. So what? Yeah, what's the uh, what's the word on these hail? Just the same as they have been referring to in the past that they will use a tsunami to kill all the enemy ships, basically, and the right. the core of their nuclear forces in North Korea. It was very similar to past. State media references. So this is a weapon that the North Korea revealed earlier this year. Right. They said earlier this year uh, they only released a couple of still photos, and they said that Kim Jong Un has been guiding, I think, dozens of these tests since I forgot now, but at least a few years ago. So they mm. they said that this was something being developed for years now that was not reported publicly in state media until earlier this year in the spring. And they talked about at least two different models and three different tests. And so it's un there were not very many images released at the time. And so now comparing this one, it has a different paint job than any of those that we saw before. We don't know which exact model of the of that this is. And then there's a lot of speculation out there from the experts on on whether or not this is a real system, mm. how effective it could be. They compare it to I think it's a Russian weapon called Poseidon. And how that is a nuclear-powered, nuclear-armed mm. torpedo of similar kind of length uh, or a similar size. Yep. And the speculation is that North Korea's would not be nuclear-powered. It would be battery-powered, so that affects the range. And um, also there is uh, attention being placed on how you would actually uh, deploy or like launch this. Would right. it be, if it's from the port? That's very vulnerable. Yeah. and Because you can preemptively shoot a port before these things get launched. Sure. And there's not evidence yet that this thing can be equipped onto a submarine for launch from a ah. submarine. So there's a whole lot of questions still remaining on this system. But mm -hmm. it's just another thing that the adversaries have to think about and consider and try to address. So that's North Korea's game plan in the last few years is just all angles you know, weapons from trains, yeah. from, from uh, yeah, nukes from all angles. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, final thoughts on the, uh, on the parade, uh, Chongwen. Perhaps, have, do you have any thoughts on how it ended with uh, Kim Jong-un flanked by Shoigu and followed a little bit by uh, Li Hongzhong walking back and forth along the, uh, the reviewing stand to uh, wave at the adoring crowds, then it cut to Ri Chun-hee in, uh, in her handbook in the studio? Mm, well, I would just say that I think Kim Jong-un knew that Shoigu was going to steal a thunder in international media and he made full use of it. Ah. And um, Shoigu, if you look at Rodong Shimun, he was on the front page of Rodong Shimun two days in a row. Mm. First one on the meeting and the expo, uh, on the meeting, one-on-one uh, -on -one meeting, and then three of them, Russian delegation, Chinese delegation, and Kim Jong-un on the viewing stand. So it, it definitely was like they are the spotlight. Yeah. But I was keeping a close eye on whenever Kim Jong-un was whispering to Shoigu or mm you know, having a one-on-one -on -one chat while Lee was standing awkwardly next to them. <laughs> they were definitely gesturing to each other, pointing at certain weapons, and I think it's important to review them again. You, any thoughts Lee that maybe Shoigu was on a shopping trip? I think I, there, there was definitely that vibe. Mm -hmm, I, wouldn't, mm -hmm. I, I couldn't hear what they were saying, right? right? But there were moments where Kim Jong-un was like, Shoigu was like five, and then yep. Kim Jong-un says, yeah, five. And then someone translates. Ah. And there were other parts where Shoigu was asking a question and Kim Jong-un was explaining using the hand 
gesture, and then the translator would explain again. Mm. I'm very interested to know what they were yeah. referring to. But because there were moments that. where he did lean over to Lee Hongzhong and made some comments to him too, right? I mean, it wasn't like he was only talking. There to were Shoko. those moments, but the it seemed like the contexts were different. To Lee, they ah. were like laughing and very friendly, mm -hmm. but to Shoigu, it was more like very businessy. They ah. were Kim well, Jong Un military was, nerds, you know? Yeah, yeah. military. They they Why were explaining things too. Right. Like doesn't like necessarily mean doesn't necessarily mean that he was shopping right. but kim jong-un was very passionately explaining things okay uh colin final thoughts from you oh gosh um i mean there's a lot to review i i i think that we will move on from this quite quickly because of what's going to be happening in august with mm. the joint drills on the u.s south korea side you know this could just be the beginning like i said earlier this is an introduction of many very provocative statements from the defense minister to the domestic audience, it says to me that they're preparing them for more of this confrontational situations to come. Mm. Um, and, and in a little over two months, we're going to have a military parade here in Seoul, right? I was just going to say, it's yeah. September 26th near oh, Gwangwamun. Ah, okay. So yeah, a little bit less than two months. Will, will this parade affect that parade? Well, I was just saying to our Monday meeting, I was saying South Korean... Government is very allergic to people referring to it as military parade. Oh, they want right? it to be referred to as street march because of a the connotation, march. bad connotations military parade has on the huh. peninsula. Well, too bad. But military we are parade. going to call it military now, parade. It's a military parade. This thing we saw in Pyongyang, they called it a Yolbyongshik. Is mm -hmm. that right? What are they calling military the street parade region. in South Korea? Shikahengjin. Okay, so literally a, uh, a street parade. Interesting. Mm. Well, it, it, like the the street parade is the Kwanghwamun part, but yep. they will start at the Seoul airport, ah. the military one. Up where, down there in Songnam. So that part could be like Yeolbyongshik, Yeolbyongshik. It could be a military parade. Right. But military review. But the Kwanghwamun part would be they will be adamantly calling it a street march. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm sorry I won't be in the country for that one, but it, uh, I'll certainly be uh, watching on the YouTube later on. Thank you very much, Colin Zwerko and Jongmin Kim, for joining me here to talk about the parade. Send in somebody else to come and talk to me about 300 episodes of the, the podcast. Thank you, Jacko. Thank you, Jacko. Thank you. All right, and I am now joined around the table by a new batch of, uh, of colleagues. We have James Fretwell. Say hello. Hello, thank you for having me on again. That was far too long. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we have Anton Sol Solokin. Sokolin. Sokolin, yeah, I'll that's correct. It. I'll get it right the next time. And we have my new colleague, first time on the podcast, Alana Hill. Welcome on the show. Thank you for having me. So this is our 300th episode, as I mentioned in the, uh, the first bit of recording. It's really nice of North Korea to throw a parade for us uh, on an occasion like this. <laughs> uh, I didn't need it, you know, a telegram, a simple cake. Uh, would have been enough, but uh, they decided to go all out and throw a parade. Uh, Alana, tell me how you came to join us here at NK News. So I've been in Korea for the past six years working in journalism, um, doing a mix of everything, really. Uh, when I first started out, I was working in radio at KBS and uh, mainly doing national news. Then I moved to a newspaper where I was doing national again, and then I did culture for a long time. Um, and I decided I was ready for a bit of a change. So mm. I very luckily got the job here. And it's been a big change for me going from, you know, BTS to North Korea. But uh, I've really enjoyed it so far. It's been a really hectic first month, but very exciting. 
Excellent, excellent. And not to put you on the spot or anything, but have you heard an episode of the podcast before? Of course, yeah. I've been the one listening to them before I upload them, so ah, yes. okay. But yeah. you haven't heard all 300, I'm guessing. No, no, not no. yet. Very few people can claim that. that <laughs> Even I haven't heard all 300, and I was on most of them. Uh, James, what have you been uh, working on these days? What have I been working on these days? Well, uh, of course, the parade stuff that's been taking up a... Lots of time, day and night, thinking about North Korea's military parade, how to cover it, new angles. Mm. Um, well, here's one for you. Here's something I did not discuss with uh, Colin and Jongmin when they were in here. It seemed to me uh, as if uh, Kim Jong-un has developed a new black spot on his uh, left I cheek. I noticed that. Did you notice it? Yes, yeah. It was I quite did. significant. Yeah. It may even be a 3D one. Yes. And I'd never seen that before. James, did you pick up on that? I did not pick up on that. That seems like a job. Our superstar Colin's worker, who uh, monitors state media, looking out for these little developments. Uh, it does remind weight. me that uh, way back, at more than 10 years ago, there was a similar story when Kim Jong-il developed a new spot on his face there. So this is one of the things that uh, when you're doing, st when you're reporting on a country that's so hard to get information out of, you're uh, really reduced to the visuals in many cases, right? We'll get on it, Jacko. Expect mm. a 5,000 word in-depth analysis on, uh, on this new spot. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much there. Uh, Anton, last night I was watching uh, some video footage of... Uh, a, I think it was a post-parade performance of North Koreans singing songs in Russian. Did, have you seen that clip yet? Yes, I have. Uh, I haven't actually listened to the songs that they were singing, but uh, yeah, I did notice that. It's, oh, it's very no, interesting. I can't but ask but you it just, if the pronunciation was good. I, I, I'm sorry, I cannot say anything about that. But it does highlight the importance of the Russian delegation in North Korea. I think. Yeah, talk a little bit more about that. Well, uh, you know, uh, defense minister, the Russian defense minister, Sergei Shoigu, visited uh, North Korea, attended the parade, and participated in a bunch of banquets, so drinking some wine. Um, when was the last time we had somebody at like a delegation this high level from, uh, from Russia? In definitely, Kenya? it's been years, uh, and definitely way before uh, the pandemic. Yeah. And we, we can really say that Shoigu's presence there was one of the really highest level visits by uh, like Russian delegates. So uh, since, I don't know, maybe 2019, and 18. I, I think I seem to remember that, that Shoigu actually thanked Kim Jong-un or maybe gave a letter from Putin thanking Kim Jong-un for his support on the, the, right. the special military operation. Right, that's correct. Shoigu delivered Putin's message to Kim Jong-un. We don't know actually the real contents of that message because there was, a, I, I think there was two messages. Mm. One was a private one and the other one was a public one that was disclosed at this uh, big party event where Shoigu actually read it out loud. And then in that message, he relayed Putin's words saying, uh, thank you, Kim Jong-un and North Korea for uh, supporting the special military operation. Right. We've talked a little bit about this before, I think, especially James on some of the earlier roundtables about what actually has North Korea done uh, for the special military operation. We've, we've heard reports and we've heard the US State Department saying that North Korea has, has sent weapons. We haven't really seen them in use, except last week, suddenly there was this story about Ukrainians possibly using confiscated North Korean weapons. Yeah, that seems to be, well, yeah, uh, I think a blogger had touched on this issue before the Financial Times reported mm. on it. But yeah, it's all a bit, you know, the the only thing we've we've uh, heard of about Russia using North Korean weapons is the US asserting that they have, you know, uh, intelligence suggesting that this is happening and they released some satellite photos of some cargo crossing the border. But, um, you know, we've, we've also been thinking with all the open source analysis that's going on on 
Twitter and mm. other websites of the Ukraine war, there have been no North Korea- Korean weapons that have showed up thus far. Um, so, yeah, we're not doubting that North Korea is sending weapons. We're not accepting it as, you know, as uh, 100% fact until we get that kind of confirmation. Yeah. But, yeah, this uh, visit from the high-level uh, Russian delegation is definitely going to raise alarms in the U.S. about what is what is going on there. One of the questions that I've heard, which is at this stage unanswered, but uh, um, yes, it seems that uh, Russia might be uh, wanting to get some weaponry from North Korea, but can North Korea produce in the volume and at the speed that Russia is going through these things, right? I mean, if you look, if you're talking about the numbers of bullets and shells and, and drones and things that are being used up on both the Russian and the Ukrainian side each week, each month, it seems like an open question as to whether North Korea could ever produce uh, at that, that right speed. Well, I assume that uh, North Korea has stockpiled ah. tons of shells and bullets and whatever uh, over the years since basically the end of the Korean War. So uh, there is no problem with supplying it. Does any of that, like like with you know, a packet of milk in the fridge, after a month you can't drink it anymore? Do weapons ever degrade over time if you don't they use do, them? They do, they do. They do, that's why it's dangerous to use them. Oh. And that's what, that's what actually was highlighted in the Financial Times ah. article, that uh, North Cor- uh, Ukrainian commanders yeah. are very cautious about using those uh, weaponry because you never know, they're like loose cannon, literally. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, Lana, tell us about what your role is here at NKNews. What do you do? You, you're the new Arias Day. Air, which means I'm now thanking you at the end of each uh, podcast episode rather than him. But what do you do? Uh, so I'm the deputy managing editor. So I'm under our fearless leader, Mr. Brian Betts. Uh-huh. He's managing editor. And basically, I'm just editing stories. I listen to the podcast. I write the brief for the podcast. Um, I mainly do the Ask a North Korean for or yeah. pieces, which I really in, have been enjoying so far. Um, and a bit of everything so far. Okay, and are you, uh, do you intend to be writing some stories at some point? I hope well? so, yeah. yeah. Like that's a bit far off now, but right. yeah, definitely Do you have a, a niche that you're looking to, uh, to corner? Not yet, yeah. Uh, maybe the Russian... No, I'm just kidding, Anton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs> we can't be cannibalizing no, from no, our... No. <laughs> all right, okay, well, thank you uh, all three... Uh, th- thank you, three of you, all of you, very much for coming on the show. Cycle in the next lot. <laughs> Will do. Thank you. Thanks, Jacko. Come back for episode 400. Definitely we will. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Good to hear your enthusiasm. (laughs) All right. And I am now joined around the table by three more of my colleagues. And I will let you introduce yourselves. John Lee, editor of Korea Pro. Yeji Chang, a news trainee at NK News slash Korea Pro. And my name is Lena Park, and I'm also a news trainee, and I just um, celebrated my one month here. Hey, you're one month. Fantastic. So we all have a, a milestone here. Episode 300 of the podcast, one month that you, of you being here. And when did you start, Yeji? I started around this time last year, like around September, I believe. Ah, okay. I, August, I don't know. And you were shortly to, uh, to leave us. Yes. What will you be doing after that? Um, I'll be going back to the States to finish my bachelor's at um, college. Aha, okay. Yeah. So, but uh, your time here, uh, you've certainly learned a lot over the last year? I sure did. I worked with such a great team and talented people that I am very grateful that I had this opportunity. Excellent. Will you be uh, work after you finish your bachelor? What are you What are you planning to do? Um, no plans. Um, no solid plans right now, but... 
Um, I'm hoping to stay in this field of journalism. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and being able to, hopefully I'll be able to utilize whatever I've um, learned from NK News. And what's the most fun or interesting or memorable story that, you, uh, that you've worked on in the time that you've been here? Yeah, it surely would be that one time that I interviewed Hane, um, who's a North Korean soldier who defected across DMZ. Yeah. Um, he had such Was he a, the, multiple, the multiple crosser? Like he went back to get his mother? Or am I getting the stories mixed up? Uh, I don't think that was him. Okay. He escaped through his DMZ once. Ah. And he's aspiring to be an actor in Korea. Mm. Yeah. And he had such a, an amazing story. Yi Fang and I met him. Uh, yeah. And did an interview. And I think that was very interesting. That is a memorable story. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, John, you're working more on Korea Pro these days uh, than in K News and in K Pro. So, uh, what's uh, in your radar these days? Well, today I am editing a piece about how the defense industry has managed to export 129 Redback infantry fighting vehicles to Australia. Redback, like the Spider. It was named after the Spider, actually. Ah, okay. What what is a Redback fighting vehicle? What does that do? It is a light armored infantry fighting vehicle. It's supposed to be crewed by three people, but it's uh, it's a vehicle that's able to transport up to eight infantry units at once. It's got uh, 30 millimeter cannons and other anti-missile guided, uh, anti-missile guided rockets as well. It's got uh, armor around it, and it's supposed to be a bit faster than tanks. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they can travel up to 40 kilometers per hour, or is it 40 miles? Mm. Which may be 40 kilometers. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a brand new military vehicle, which was designed specifically to be exported. So what that means is that the Korean army doesn't even have this uh, vehicle in their arsenal. Wow. And how many of these were exported to Australia? It was originally supposed to be 450, but after the Australian government uh, slashed back on their army acquisition procurement programs, mm-hmm. that number has been slashed to uh, 129. Okay, and who's the manufacturer of this? Hana Defense. It's the same company that makes the K9 uh, self-propelled howitzer. Ah, okay. So that's Hana, not Hanhua. Hanwa. Hanwa. Yes. Okay. Wow. All right. Yeah, they're uh, certainly a big one in the uh, defense industry. I think they also used to produce tear gas, if I'm not mistaken. That was one of the exports. Uh, I believe they exported it to Turkey. Mm. But after some international backlash, I think they might have stopped exporting that. Uh, But uh, I'm not quite sure about that. Okay. Uh, And Lena, you've been here in the podcast studio before, but not behind a mic. You've been filming. Yeah, that's correct. So what is it that uh, what's the project that you're doing with uh, filming uh, highlights? Yeah, so I think that a lot of great topics come out on podcasts, but unfortunately, they are very long, and I would really like um, more people to listen to them. So I'm making them into shorter clips to reach more people, and that's what I'm doing. And so they go up on the social media, yeah, on, uh, on the NK News Twitter channel. Yeah, I'm the new face behind social media. (laughs) You're the new face behind social media. Yeah, are we on TikTok yet? No, not yet. Mm, Is that part of the plan? Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) Okay, good. And what else are you uh, working on while you're here? Well, I started um, writing my first piece for Korea Pro, uh-huh. but I'm hoping to write more articles for NK News as well. Yeah. Okay. What uh, What interests you about uh, Korea or North Korea? 
Well, about Korea, I am currently writing a piece on tipping culture, and I'm definitely uh, interested in more socioeconomic uh, factors that are affecting the society today. Um, but behind, is there a tipping culture in Korea? Yeah, so that is very um, interesting. So there isn't, but there has been a recent backlash against uh, cacao. Yes, I just noticed last week yep. a cacao taxi is now forcing uh, me to decide whether or not to tip my <laughs> yes, driver. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so that's um, what I'm writing about. So please look forward to that. It's a fascinating decision. Do you know who made that or how this decision came about within Cacao? That would be interesting to know. Yeah, because uh, Cacao said that mm -hmm. uh, the taxi drivers um, have been experiencing um, difficulty with their wages. Ah. And so Cacao has been implementing this uh, new policy for uh, taxi drivers to get more income, but... There is a debate on whether that uh, whether tipping is necessary and whether it will improve their conditions. Yeah. Right. I mean, surely, if if a taxi driver's salary is not enough to live on, then shouldn't they just raise the uh, the basic fee of the taxis rather than uh, encourage people to tip? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, an open question. I leave that with you all. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, Lena Yeji, John, thanks very much for coming on the podcast, and uh, we will see you next send to the next group. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, and we have now our last crew that have cycled into the NK News studio. Cycled, that's a good pun for you, Niels. <laughs> yes, uh, well, let's I go. did cycle this morning, in fact, yeah. Exactly. So we have everyone go around the table and say your name and your title here. Okay. Uh, yeah, my name is Niels. Uh, I'm the director of news operations uh, at Korea Risk Group and working a lot on NK News, NK Pro, Korea Pro, all over the place. You are all over the place, like me, on a, uh, on a morning without coffee. Brian. Brian Betts. I'm the managing editor at NK News and NK Pro. And uh, Brian, uh, what's the word? He has uh, oversight over all the podcasts, so he has to approve every topic that I do. So he's my boss. Yes. Okay, Peter. Peter Ward, a contributing analyst at uh, NK Pro, also do work on Career Pro, mainly related to the economy. Yeah, you are quite the uh, the boffin when it comes to the economy. What do, what do you think about the economics of doing 300 podcasts over five and a half years? Thoughts? Well, uh, I think from your point of view, it seems to be working out reasonably well. From the company's point of view, I would defer to Niels, of course. <laughs> but after 300 <laughs> podcasts, one would imagine it's generating enough value for yourself and for the company to, get, to have made it sustainable up until this point. And many happy returns. I hope it continues to do so. Thank you. Were you trained as a diplomat? <laughs> <laughs> that was a fantastic answer. I spent a lot of time around diplomats. Uh, may have picked up a few of their habits. Excellent. All right. Uh, now, you've heard all 300 episodes of the podcast, haven't you, Peter? Unfortunately, not yet. <laughs> Hopefully no soon. I think you're ahead of Niels, who confessed to me once that he doesn't listen to the podcast as a general rule. Yeah, my, 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 the connection between my ears and my brain is not working very well. With the eyes reading is much, much better, much more effective. It is true. Some people are more... I do uh, like your voice, though. Thank you. Yeah, some people are more visual learners and some are more oral learners. Uh, this is why I had to give up learning Japanese 30 years ago, because I couldn't remember the, uh, how to write the kanji. So I'm not a good visual learner, and I've effectively stopped reading. Uh, but that's... Uh... <laughs> See, it was Chinese in me that worked pretty well. Ah. Looking, looking and looking and... Uh, yeah. See, I much prefer listening to reading, but I can't say I retain information better uh, as a result. Ah, so it's more pleasurable, but less as retained. I think so. Mm. Yeah, but I much prefer listening. Yeah. Brian, any favorite topic uh, that you've uh, heard since you've become managing editor here? Favorite topic on the podcast? Mm. Well, uh, shortly after I joined a couple years ago, you did the big almost three-hour interview with Stephen Began. Ah, yes. And I was given the task of listening to the whole thing and writing a story on it. So spent a lot of time with that one, yeah. transcribing and uh, then writing the story. And it was, but it was a great interview. 
That uh, that was for me a favorite one too. It was uh, one I'd been looking forward to for a long time, and uh, and did spend a lot of time going through all of his previous statements and media interviews and and prep for it. So yeah, it was uh, it's one I think that'll stand the test of time. If only we can get uh, perhaps uh, Mike Pompeo or uh, or Donald Trump. In. I did write to Donald Trump's team in Florida most recently, and somebody was kind enough to write back to me after the I don't know third or fourth email that said uh, uh, he will not be able. Y- your request will not be uh, what's the word fulfilled at this time. So. Jackie, you should have tweeted at him, or uh, I mean, xed, xed at him. He's not on Twitter anymore. Well, he is. Not, he is. Oh, no, that's on right. Tru- truth. You should have truth social at him. Oh, God, I don't I want to draw another him. platform. Truth. Him. <laughs> what, what about John Bolton? Yeah, no, I, he was a good interview. I enjoyed having him on. He was on, uh, what, just about a month ago? I kept the video of that one because he was wearing a seersucker suit. And, you know, I'm always a, a sucker for a good seersucker suit. And uh, Marcus Galakaskis? Uh, Mr. G, yeah, also from the intelligence community. That was a great, uh, that was great fun too. Yeah, wow, you, so you have been listening. And oh, you've, a little bit. And you've right. retained some of it. Yeah, yeah, a bit, yeah. Just a bit. <laughs> I'd like to retain more though, yeah. And what are you focusing on these days uh, with regards to uh, North Korea's economy? What's, uh, what's got your uh, attention? Well, today we are just talking to uh, one of the uh, correspondents here about uh, North Korean uh, GDP estimates from the Bank of Korea. Mm. Uh, some interesting data. Have they just been released recently? Yeah, just released today, I think, ah, in the last couple of days. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, Is this an annual thing that the Bank of Korea does, right? So the Bank of Korea has been estimating the size of the North Korean economy officially on the record, I think, since at least the 1990s. I uh-huh. imagine they were doing it long before then as well. So they use uh, what they call shadow statistics or things like that? So mirror statistics, mirror statistics from every customs authority that isn't North Korea on North Korea's trade account, uh, satellite imagery, and they also have their own government sources, which they're very vague about. What I would imagine it includes intelligence estimates of various mm-hmm. kinds. Okay. And so what is the size of the North Korean economy right now, according to the Bank of Korea? Well, a little under $30 billion total. Um, that's, and wait, that's less than Elon Musk bought Twitter for, isn't it? Sure, and it's not. You couldn't sell. You couldn't sell the economy off as uh, as assets on the on the globe uh, on the global market either. So it's uh, in cash terms, it's going to be worth a lot less than that as well, right? So, so, so hang on. So thirty billion is in theory. It's the uh, surprise. The, the next best uh, estimate of, uh, of all of North Korea's economic output over correct, correct over a year. And a fair amount of that is not uh, monetizable or commoditized. Yeah, well, except except the part that came in cryptocurrency. Right, right. I'm not ah. sure. I imagine they probably do include crypto, but. You don't see much. You don't see a, a massive crypto effect in their in their estimates. So maybe they don't actually. Just to compare, what South Korea's GDP at the moment? Oh, one point six trillion, I think, or something like that. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's, much, a, it's a big it's much multiple. larger. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So where does that rank in terms of uh, nations of the world? What what else is sort of comparable? I, I don't currently know. I guess I'd say Ghana or somewhere like that. I'm not sure. Sorry, sorry, well, Ghana. Ghana I think Ghana might be a bit better than Let that. Let me have it though. Sort of get my phone out. But yeah, that means that North Korean GDP per capita is around $1,200. Well, what's really interesting about these yeah. numbers, though, is that when you look at the actual estimates, they're not that different to North Korea's own estimates. The oh. ones that they publish in their sort of rather selective, uh, sporadic releases in UN reports, the you know, UNICEF report or yep. a, a, a social development, a sustainable development goals report. Oh. oh, no, I'm very sorry to the people of Ghana. No. Ghana's GDP is double, yeah. uh, in nominal terms, double uh, North Korea's. But, you know, what's really interesting is that the the, the gross number and mm-hmm. then the per capita number are very similar to North Korea's own estimates they release through the UN system from time to time. Mm-hmm. And if anything, the CIA, the US Central Intelligence Agency, is far more optimistic about North Korea's GDP. You know, what, they, what are they estimated at? $34, $35 billion, I think, was the last estimate I saw. Okay. So, you know, North Koreans themselves are... As in the, the difference is the line of... the line of travel. The North Koreans think that their uh, economy is growing, whereas mm-hmm. the South Koreans have been saying that the North Korean economy is shrinking slightly for some for some years but the actual size not that different okay 
Wow, thank you for that. Brian, what's on top of mind this week as uh, managing editor here of, uh, of NK News and KPRO? Well, we're coming off of the high of the uh, military parade last week, so yeah. there's a lot to dig into still. Uh, we've got the had a lot of the top-line coverage with the Russian and Chinese delegations and showing off the new drones. Now it's kind of time to kind of dig into the coverage a little bit more, look at questions like, what, you know, these drones very closely remember uh, resemble U.S. models. Yes. Uh, there was a lot why, of speculation you know, about why, how, how, yeah. how, you know, did they steal these, the, the hackers steal these designs? Right. I mean, lots of questions like that to follow up on. Yeah, anything's possible, isn't it? They could have taken uh, bits of a downed drone and tried to reverse engineer it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. yeah and then the other thing is it kind of got overshadowed last week with the uh, military parade, but Travis King is still in uh, DPRK custody. Tomorrow and will be two weeks exactly. And North Korea weeks. still hasn't said anything in their media yet, have they? They have not said anything According to the UN command, they have at least had contact right. with, with the North Korean side, but that appears to be it so far. We had some analysis after he crossed over saying either this is probably going to get finished really quickly mm. or this is going to be some long drawn out thing. Well, it's been two weeks now, so uh, I know, maybe it's... Not it's a good uh, sign, is it? The last time this happened, when uh, when Joseph White crossed in uh, 1982, if I'm not mistaken, North Korea put out a statement almost on the same day, like really, really quickly to say, we've got this guy, and they were publishing leaflets in Korean and English uh, within a matter of months to scatter over South Korea. So it is uh, unlike them to be this quiet on an issue. They clearly know that peop- you know, the world is interested to hear about. Yeah. Now, Niels, a topic that we haven't discussed lately is just, you hinted at this before with uh, North Korea's cyber, um, uh, sorry, cryptocurrency activity, just cybersecurity. Is there an increase in North Korea trying to, to fish or scam or people uh, online through emails and other like LinkedIn messages lately? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's always an increase. I mean, it's definitely, definitely not, going, not going away. I'm mean, speaking of hackers, actually, we were kind of disappointed that there was no North Korean cyber squad marching in the military parade. I've always been wondering uh, yeah. when, when, the, when we'll see that, that they will, there will be a squad with like laptops or at least kind of like keyboard clutched under their arms uh, to signify that. It's pretty interesting that, that the North Koreans don't really use cybersecurity uh, to project power, even though they're clearly at this point have yeah. a reputation and, and, a, and a pretty bad one too. Uh, I mean, a good, good one, and a, a bad one, in a good, good way or the other way around. Um, right. But, we, we, but, we, we, but, but they don't put this on display um, and neither do many other countries to be fair. Right, yeah, because what we did see, um, oh, and here's a photograph of it here, they did show, I know it's been on before, but it was my first time to watch it, the Social Security Forces, which are a, um, a paramilitary organization, normally under the control of the, the police, but uh, under the military when there's a time of emergency. And this is the next closest thing that North Korea has to riot police with uh, perspex-looking curved shields and German shepherds. Why does a country like that need such a, uh, a riot force, apparently to hold back people from the border who might want to cross over into North Korea seeking a better life there. It's for the rioting foreigners. Uh, right, yeah. But have you noticed any interesting um, trends in cyber attacks from North Korea lately? Well, I mean, one is certainly that, the, that, that all the phishing materials are getting much, much more, uh, much, much more perfect and much, much harder to spot because yeah. they probably, just like everybody, use ChatGPT and, and other LLMs to generate that content. Um, it's, it's definitely been a market shift um, ever since ChatGPT kind of popped into everybody's conscience that the emails are flawless it's flawless english you really can't spot it anymore 
Yes, and we won't know for a while how successful they are with these better, uh, more flawless attempts, but uh, I can imagine that a few more people will fall victim to it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And what does that usually mean? What, what happens to you if you, uh, if you fall victim to a North Korean uh, scam or, or, or a phishing attack? Well, I guess the most, the most disappointing part is that initially you won't know. Ah. Um, you'll know when your cryptocurrency is gone, if you have any. Mm-hmm. Um, you maybe won't know until a year later uh, when, when somebody fin- finds out that your machine has been compromised. Your, your email address may be used to send phishing emails to others who trust you to not phish them. In the worst case, you have a keylogger installed on your computer that, that logs all your keystrikes and mm. may empty your bank account. Who knows? But I think the biggest risk really is for those who have cryptocurrency and for those of us who are very well connected, like journalists like you, who just are the kind of person who emails people and, and get read simply because people trust you. What should people do to, uh, to stay safe? Turn off their computer. Never turn it on again. Okay, you've heard it here first, folks. Uh, go back to, uh, to paper and pen. But failing that, assuming you can't do that for, for work or other reasons, what, have some good security software installed? Yeah, I mean, certainly the, the, the most basic thing is just keep systems up to date. Like keep your Windows, keep your Mac OS or your Linux um, up to date uh, on the latest version. Don't use pirated software. There's, there's no such thing as a free Microsoft Office license. So basically buy your stuff, run your updates, don't wait. If you can get around um, using browsers like Internet Explorer, um, you're probably on, a, on the better side with, with uh, some of the more secure browsers. I shouldn't say that. Edge has is, is, is gotten pretty good. But, mm. um, but most importantly, keep your software up to date. And then if you can't afford it at all, just run some antivirus software on top of that. Even though with the very, very cutting... I mean, the North Koreans have gotten so good at, at malware and they vary it so often that it's quite difficult for a lot of antivirus software to keep detecting it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's good to invest into quality software that can deal with malware that has not been seen in the wild, that isn't as documented right. yet, maybe with a heuristic thing, uh, detection. One thing I, I wonder whether, uh, I know uh, in Russia and in Eastern Europe, there's a lot of these, what do you call, uh, ransomware hacks, right? Where they freeze your computer, they, they encrypt all the files, and then you've got to pay some cryptocurrency to decrypt it. Does North Korea engage in that? That's a good, that's a good question. We don't see that very often yet. I'm not quite sure why. Mm. I, think, I think probably because stealing cryptocurrency is so much more efficient uh, and yep. effective. I mean, they, they can still steal, steal tens of millions of, of dollars yeah. um, in a single swoop. Like, why would they extort people for $100 at a time? I think it's just not necessary. Yet. But that will very likely change. I think we'll see that more often once all the exchanges, once security improves on the yeah. cryptocurrency exchanges, um, they will start hacking uh, individuals a lot more i think okay. oh, was it the uh, the cryptocurrency exchange last week that's that was bragging oh the north korean hackers only stole 300 million from us or something that's like right that? i think it was 30 million yeah yeah, yeah. So, that, so that's where we're at now that, that when, when they only take 30 million you can locked out and and that's a good thing that is not the kind of public messaging you want to send out those people need to get a, a good public relations firm final thoughts what would you like to see on the podcast in the future in the next 100 episodes peter anything I really loved the World Festival of Youth and Students um, story arc. Right. Um, long, you know, sort of series, uh, with maybe historical, maybe more contemporary. A lot of fun to listen to. So that's sort of like following a story arc, as it were. A story arc, okay. And then, of course, having you come in and talk, tell about the economics of that story arc. Yeah, well, potentially. Of course, I'm always open. Brian? Donald Trump? Yes, we've got to keep trying. I think, you know, I think with his, uh, he's kind of busy. He's tied up with legal things these days, and I think that may be why... Might, well, know. that might you know that might imperil his uh, his presidential chances. So he may have more can, free time in his you hands. You can catch him on the on the rebound. On the rebound, right? Uh, Niels, 
Well, naturally, more more cybersecurity coverage. To be honest, I think I think there's quite a bit of interest in it, and and it's a complex topic. I think it would be good to have more more episodes that kind of dive into it and make it accessible for people who like don't don't uh, kind of stare at their screen and 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 hack away every day. Just make it accessible. That's a good idea. We'll we'll certainly have you on again soon to talk about this more in depth, and we'll uh, we'll make a list of other cybersecurity people to get them on too in the future. That sounds like a great idea. All right, thank you very much for joining me on the show today, Peter Brian Niels. All right, thanks for having us. Thanks, Jacob. Attention, North Korea portfolio professionals. Are you in need of more than just sloppy and spotty South Korean news coverage on the DPRK? If so, I present to you NK Pro. Born from the established news gathering reputation of NK News, NK Pro leverages staff experience and top notch technology to provide subscribers with superior knowledge and tools to achieve their goals. Expect daily analysis, exclusive tools, and a suite of research tools that cover everything from North Korean state media to the whereabouts of DPRK vessels and aircraft. How cool is that? In a world where the landscape of North Korea seems unknowable to many, NK Pro cuts through the noise and provides you with the quality, reliability, and timeliness you need. Stay ahead, stay informed, and master the landscape with NK Pro. Trust me, it's a game changer. Interested? Visit nknews.org/professionals to claim your free 30-day trial of NK Pro. Once again, that's nknews.org/professionals. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of our podcast episode for today. Our thanks go to Brian Betts and Alana Hill for facilitating this episode and to our post-recording producer genius, Gabby Magnuson, who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions, and fixes the audio levels. Thank you and listen again next time. (laughs) 